Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I uh, have something I just want to reminisce or rehearse this morning that should be familiar to all of us. Hey, Des, good to see you. And uh, it is something I taught many years ago. Many, many years ago, you know, when I really began to have the revelation of the righteousness of God in Christ strike my spirit, again, it's still one of the most important truths to embrace there is that we have right standing with God right now. As you've heard me say a million times, not based on our behavior, but based on the behavior of Christ and our simple faith in him. But he made this statement to me all those years ago, and it became a title of something that I wrote, a title of something of a series I did. He just One day I was just sitting there looking to the Word, and I was just astounded. And I heard this. He said, which side of Calvary are you on? Which side of Calvary are you living on? You can't live in both. Which side of Calvary? Are you living in the old covenant still? Or are you still dipping back in that to the point that that's all you see? Or are you on this side truly honoring the work of Christ, what my son did? And that really began to just bore deep in my heart. And so it brought me again to something that you'll probably all yawn about, but it brought me to the truth that I have to really have a greater revelation of this grace of God that the Bible teaches, this grace that's so vital, which means I have to really believe that God loves me. Now, I was thinking about that all last night and this morning. You know, if I ask you if God loves you, you'll all say yes. But there's no deeper truth. And, I mean, when you say, well, God loves me, I mean, really, how far does that go? How deep does it go? God loves me. But but you have to think and meditate on that for about 25 years. I mean, the creator of all the universe, all the universes, the creator loves me with such a strong, unconditional love that he, again, sent his only begotten son. So God loving you is truly, I believe, the most foundational, the most powerful truth that there is in the Bible, if you really believe it, if you really believe God loves me. God loves me. That's why we can say, if God be for us, who can be against us? God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. And the whole thing of Jesus Christ's coming was to deliver us from that side of Calvary and bring us into this new revelation of Almighty God, what he's done for us. He loved us so much while we were yet dead in our sins and trespasses, he gave his only begotten son to redeem us. You can't get any stronger than that, really. So it's about the grace and what have you. But I'm going to read it. So basically, I've got just some scriptures here from uh, several scriptures on the, on the grace thing, but just statements that I wrote years ago. And I want to rehearse it again. Like I said, it's like uh, Paul's, or Peter said, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Because it's incredible to really see what we have on this side of Calvary. In Romans 1, it says this that we all know in verse 16, it says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, for it is God's power working unto salvation, excuse me, for deliverance from eternal death to everyone 
who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and a firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek, verse 17, for in the gospel a righteousness, or this right standing that we talk about, in the gospel a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed. It springs from faith. It leads to faith. It's disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. (laughs) As it is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live and shall live by faith. Now, Jonathan, can you put up that first slide? This is, this is the definition of the word gospel. I just want you to see it again. The Greek word is euaglion, but listen to this. This is the four phrases that go along with the gospel that we're not to be ashamed of. The gospel is news that makes one happy, information that causes one joy, words that bring smiles, a message that causes the heart to be sweet. Isn't that nice? As preachers, as believers, we're to preach the gospel. If it doesn't sound like that, you have to ask yourself if you're preaching the gospel. Does it make your heart sweet wherever you go to church? Does it make you, is it news that brings you joy? You know what I mean? So this is so basic, I understand, but like I said, I just want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, okay? So let's look at a couple of other verses. Now here in Luke, turn to Luke 4. You know where he says the, where he talks about the Spirit of God being upon him. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. I'll read from verse 17. And there was handed to him the roll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened, he unrolled the book and found the place where it was written, <clears throat> The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me the anointed one, the Messiah, to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken down by calamity. Verse 19, to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors. Here comes this issue of grace. You know, we call it unmerited favor and what have you. But it's so much bigger than that. Again, I just want you to graduate into such a depth of revelation of what grace is that it just overpowers anything that could come against you. It really does. But it says again, to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors of God, I love the amplified, profusely abound. Now, if you can put up the second slide, that's the only slide we got. Profuse, this is the definition of profuse. Marked by unrestrained abundance, lavish, lush, luxuriant, a riotous pouring forth with exuberance, giving without stint, exceedingly liberal. He profusely, not a little devil, do you? Like we used to say. (laughs) Profusely, poured out free favors in Christ. It's free. You have to have the sense of self-surrender to, it says in one verse, to accept and receive the promise. Free favors of God. The free favors of God. Now I'm going to go back to Titus. Like I said, I'm going to move kind of pretty quick here because I just want to, like I said, get through this. I've got a ton of stuff to talk about, but I don't want to 
drive you nuts. Besides, I can't find Titus. Somebody tell me where Titus is. Before Hebrews? Sort of thought. After what? That's horrible. The preacher doesn't know where the book is. There it is. In Titus chapter 2, if you start at verse 11 in the Amplified, it says this. It says, Titus says, For the grace of God, sorry, Paul, for the grace of God, his unmerited favor and blessing has come forward and appeared, why? For the deliverance from sin and the eternal salvation of all mankind. Look at verse 12. What, what's the first four words? It has trained us. I had a Bible training situation for a while, and that was the name of it. it was GTI, Grace Training Institute. Grace trains you. The revelation of God's grace is what equips you and trains you to live in a fallen world. It's what changes you. It's what keeps you from falling to any, any and all of the devil's traps. It's the revelation of God's grace. God loves me. See, God loves my wife. He can't lie. He can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And again, I have to remind myself all the time, like I said, sometimes I feel guilty because I feel like I really need to fight, fight, fight for Julie. And in the natural, I mean, I do fight. But other times, like I told you before, it's always this thing where he keeps talking to me about, but I want you to understand my rest. He said, some of the greatest warfare there is is you learning how to rest. And I'm still trying to figure that one out, like I said, in all honesty. But the truth is, you see, I, you have to be, you, you get, you, it's the grace and the revelation of God's love. I know God loves Julie more than I do. He's the only one on the planet that loves her more than I do. And the thing is, there's something so deep. I may have said this here before, but it astounds me when I look into Julie's eyes and she talks with her eyes, you know, a bit. And then when I look in her eyes and I tell her I love her, I get frustrated because the words aren't enough. What I feel right now for my wife is so deep. It's so beyond those three words. I, I, I can't. I don't, I, well, there's, it's impossible for me to communicate. There's something so deep in me for her. It just burns so deep. And I have to continue to understand that's how he loves each one of us. It burns deeper than we could ever imagine. This is why, you know, Satan works so hard to get you to focus on your weaknesses. Focus on where you fall short here and there. He wants you to meditate and think more on that than on the goodness. We all know the verse in Romans 2 that I preach when I preach the love law. It's the goodness of God that's intended to draw, to draw hearts to repentance. It's a revelation of how good he is. I mean, you can't get away. That's this side of Calvary. Anything else and you're on the other side. And the other side will not produce fruit. Remember this old statement, the Old Testament is condemning and containing. The New Testament is redemptive and releasing. That's the difference, right? Don't fall asleep on me yet. Like I said, give me some mercy, please. Hallelujah. But he says, for the grace of God, his unmerited favor and blessing has come forward and appeared 
for the deliverance from sin and the eternal salvation for all mankind. It has trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness, irreligion, and worldly passion and desires to live discreet, temperate, self-controlled, upright, devout, spiritually whole lives in this present world, awaiting and looking for the fulfillment, the realization of our blessed hope, even the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus the Messiah, the Anointed One, who gave himself on our behalf that he might redeem us and purchase our freedom from all iniquity and purify for himself a people to be peculiarly his own. People who are eager and enthusiastic about living a life that is good and filled with beneficial deeds. Hallelujah. That's what he wants. But it's grace that trains us. And while, again, this might be old news to some of you, it needs to be quickened and made alive again in us. It's the revelation of God's grace. It's not about your behavior. It's about the free gift of God. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. You have eternal life right now if you're born again. You really do. I mean, it's an incredible thing to actually, it just changes your outlook about everything. I mean, I've had to go through the thing with Julie about, you know, if she did pass, you know, it's in Jesus' name she won't until we're ready. But I'm just saying, you know what? The revelation says lay hold on eternal life. She's in my future. Yeah. I'm with her forever throughout. We made, when we married, we entered into a blood covenant. We, he took two and made one, remember? One spirit. We're one spirit in the Lord. We're one. I said we're one. Amen. That rings so deep in me, it brings me a peace that I can't really comprehend. I can't really understand. But it's one of these anchors that I hold on to. Hallelujah. Revelation of grace produces a humility before God and a boldness before the devil. Luke 1.30, you don't have to turn there. That's where the angel spoke to Mary and said, Fear not, Mary, for you have found grace free, spontaneous, free, spontaneous, absolute favor and loving kindness with God. Every one of you have received that. Hallelujah. We have. Praise God. Turn to, let's turn to John now, John 1.16. This is like a Bible study class this morning. I'm sorry, I'm not as, not like these magnificent people we have here, like David and David and Deji and Abby and all this kind of stuff. But I love them. Oh, do I love them. In John 1, oops, I should turn to John 1. That'll help. Don't you giggle at me, Jennifer. I should have brought my squirt gun again. <laughs> it says here in verse 16, and again, I know you've heard this, but see, I'm trying to, like I said, I want you to... I've been at this over 40 years, you know, and I know how long it takes sometimes for this stuff to come alive. I know that it takes a true decision. It takes a commitment. It takes a choice. I was thinking about teaching on choice instead this morning. Earlier, I was talking all last week. He kept dealing with me about Deuteronomy 30, 19. You know, I call heaven and earth. I call heaven and earth to record this day 
before you that I've set against you, rather, it says against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, he said, choose life, duh, that thou and thy seed might live. I mean, think about the pro- how profound it is. God will not choose for you. Every th- we are today what we chose yesterday. Everything is about a choice we make. You make choices, and choices determine your destination. Your destiny and your destination, choices. And this is why even with this, you have to make the choice. You know, it's, it's like, I think it was one of the verses in one of the songs, again, in First John, that I love so much. Believe. Do you believe the love that God has for you? Like I said, it's got to go so deep. It's got to go beyond any doubt. You really you have to get beyond doubt. You have to get beyond, way out there. Doubt's over here left in the weeds. You're over there somewhere, you know, with the revelation of the I'm right with God. Hallelujah, because of Jesus Christ and his blood, not because of me, not because I'm so super spiritual and super spectacular. He loves me to that degree, to the point that indeed if God be for me, who will be against me? We really are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Anyhow. But in this verse 16 of the Amplified, I love it. It says, for out of his fullness, his abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and we were all supplied. Everybody say all just one time. Help me. Okay. Because I want you to know that you're in this verse. And we have all been supplied with one grace after another, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, even favor upon favor and gift heaped upon gift. It speaks in the Greek there, the language that talks about circular motion. It talks about blessing upon blessing, faith upon faith, gift upon gift, gift heaped upon gift. All of you, I self-included, have been supplied with all of this. But see, think about it. Think about under the Christmas tree gifts, whatever. It's not just a gift. See, we think grace is just, okay, it's the gift of God that we're saved through grace. But what John's trying to communicate, these guys had a hard time trying to talk about how good God was because it can't be put in words. It's something that's experienced, and then suddenly it's a revelation, and it changes everything. But gift heaped upon gift. See, it's not just, it's another gift and 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 another favor, another favor, another blessing, another blessing, another blessing. They just keep pouring because that's the nature of love. Love always seeks to benefit somebody else at their own expense. And God will never run out of goodness. He'll never run out of blessing. And he's trying to get that to us if we will, but again, like the scriptures help have that self-surrender that will receive the promise and the sacrifice. Hallelujah. And again here, like in, like I just quoted, well, Matthew 5, 8 says this in one of the Beatitudes, blessed be the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then it says what, I love this statement in the Amphite, it says, those who are conditioned by the revelation of his grace. Those who are conditioned, the pure in heart will see God. Don't you want to see God more? You know, I mean, really go beyond just having a Christian sticker on your car. When you see God, it says, especially this happens for those people who are conditioned. They're conditioning like you can, you know, you work, you finish, uh, 
he's the fin- author and the finisher of our faith. And it's talking about like the finish, how somebody finishes a piece of furniture, how you go over it with this beautiful little tone and what have you like that. He, we are to be conditioned by the revelation of his grace. I must all day long, as it were, practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. That's what old Gordon Lindsay used to say. You have to learn how to practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God by realizing that I am surrounded with favor like a shield, like I said, I mean, I'm surrounded. I am surrounded. You're surrounded. Right now, you're surrounded. That's why you should expect good things to happen. But again, hell's job is to get you to diminish your future, to look against this, well, probably, on, you know, or, you know, just whatever didn't happen last time is to get you to focus on that instead of, no, no, no. The, the truth is, you've heard me say this a thousand times, there's facts and then there's truth. Truth will always outlast the facts. The truth is Julie's healed by the stripes of Jesus. The truth is Jesus took this particular infirmity and bore this particular illness. It is the truth. That's the truth. It is the truth. (laughs) Here's the truth. The truth can't be broken. Hallelujah. But the truth is you're surrounded with favor right now. Jennifer is surrounded with favor. She doesn't have to do all those quirky little dances. (laughs) Funny little things she posts sometimes. No, but I mean, the thing is, You all have dreams, as it were. Many of you have dreams, but some of you have dreams that are on hold and been on hold for a long time. But this is why you don't quit, because, you know, I'm surrounded with favor. You know, all you do is you learn to commune with the Holy Spirit more. Holy Spirit, show me what else I need to know. What's my next step? What's my next step? What do you want to teach me to do better or to do whatever? Spirit of God, I can't get over the power of what it means. Again, I've said this a thousand times to intentionally partner with the Holy Ghost in every decision you make. It's Holy Spirit, guide me, partner with me, partner with me, partner with me. Hallelujah. Yes, the trespass of man was great in the strength of the fall of man through Adam, but Romans 5.15, you know what it says, as great as the fall was, the rising of Christ was beyond all calculation in its, in its effect. Now, I want to read it. I know you all know it, and I've taught it so many times, but man, I can't take too long in it because I go crazy. Like I said, for the first time I saw that, and yes, I'll give the age-old, I have to give the age-old illustration again anyhow. But when you really think about it, let me, I'm going to read from verse 1 so you can get upset if I read too much. Therefore, since we are justified, everybody say, I am justified. I am justified. I'm not going to be, I am. Therefore, since we are justified, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith, let us grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold and to enjoy. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Norman. You have peace with God. God's not angry at you. You're never going to make him angry at you. You can't. His love is beyond description. You can't. Through him also we have our access, our entrance, our introduction by faith into this grace. By faith in him we have introduction into this grace in which we firmly and safely stand. You must be found standing in the grace of God. The revelation of his grace. 
And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Verse 3, moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings. That's not easy for me to do. I want her up now. You know what I mean? But his word says I'm supposed to rejoice in this. Like I said, I feel um, like a hypocrite. When I sometimes, but I just sit there and I, I start singing praises over her. I'm singing praises over the fact that she's healed. Like I said, I keep seeing her walking. I see her talking freely. I see, you know, and there is progress, like a, some told somebody. There's definitely progress in her. And it's, you know, maybe little by some, some people's dimensions, but there's progress. And the girl's getting better. Hallelujah. She is. It's, uh, but see, I've got to, in the middle of this, how, how, how do you rejoice when you're sitting there 24-7 next to the greatest gift of God in your life? How do you rejoice? I don't know, but he said to. And see, I have to get to the place where that's enough. So, Father, I rejoice in your faithfulness. I rejoice in the fact that you love us so much that you will never fail us. I love the verse. You've heard me share this many times. Those who put... The trust in God will never be put to shame or be disappointed. Hallelujah. Never be disappointed. Trust God. You won't be disappointed. Moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. And goes on down. Jump to verse 8. <clears throat> But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. Therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, again, I'm sorry, but that's still so powerful. You need to rehearse that over and over again. I'm now, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You're okay. You're good. Your ticket's punched. Hallelujah. <laughs> Therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood that we drank this morning in, in type, how much more, and here's the first of the much more. Do you remember when I taught this, how the much more is? You look that up in like in, in Weiss's uh, Greek um, lexicon. It says it's to be accompanied with a shout. <laughs> You're supposed to say much more as a real loud. Much more. It's not just a little bit. Much more. Anyhow. Therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood, how much more certain is it that we shall be saved by him from the indignation and wrath of God? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, it is much more certain now that we are reconciled that we shall be saved and daily delivered from sin's dominion through his resurrection life. Not only so, but we also rejoice and exultantly glory in God in his love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoy our reconciliation. And here comes these verses. And again, there's this astounding. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man. Please don't turn off because you're familiar with these verses. Do yourself a favor. Don't turn off, please. As sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death came as the result of sin. So death spread to all men. No one was able to stop it or to escape its power because all men sinned. 
Verse 13, to be sure sin was in the world before ever the law was given, but sin is not, oh, this is heavy, man. Sin is not charged to men's account where there is no law to transgress. I got to tell you something. If you're on this side of the correct side of Calvary, there's no law to transgress. Sin's not charged to your account because it's charged to his account. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It doesn't make you sin more. It causes you to sin less if you actually receive the truth of it. Like you said, if you see somebody that's this beautiful, you cannot help but be attracted to beauty, true beauty. Like I said, my love of the mountains and stuff like that. When you get up in areas, especially when you get up where the glacial fields are and stuff like that and above the timber line and you get into this water that's so pure, it's so clear, you can see all the way to the bottom. You can see little, you know, you can see everything. All the way, it's just so clear because it's been washed clean by the granite, little tiny bits of granite. You know, the trees, everything is so magnificent. I mean, you just go, God, this is God. I mean, this is God right in front of me right now. Like Romans 1 says, you know, he reveals himself to his creation. Sin is not charged to men's account where there is no law to transgress. Yet, verse 14, death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. They didn't mean it making difference that they didn't do what he did. The death of that one man. You see the symbolism here, what Paul is trying to communicate. The death of one man caused all this stuff to come on every man. Death held sway from Adam to Moses the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Adam was a type, a prefigure of the one who was to come in reverse, the former destructive, the latter saving, speaking of Jesus. But here this comes these next few verses again. But God's free gift, and again, please don't just turn off because you've heard it before. God's free gift, grace, Jesus, is not at all to be compared to the trespass. And this phrase, his grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. That statement changed everything about my thoughts years ago. His grace is out of all proportion. It's out of all proportion. So again, you've heard, you remember the illustration I always just used when I share this in conferences and stuff. Uh, I say, let's say you walk into the back door of a big auditorium and there's a stage up there. And on one side, there's this massive elephant. And on this side, there's an ant. The elephant represents the grace of God. The ant represents the power of sin. And people walk in the back door and they go, oh my God, look at that ant. <laughs> They're still attracted to the ant, the issue of the sin. And see, do we have to talk about sin? Yes, we do. But the revelation that keeps you, it's the grace that trains you to say no to sin. That's what the scripture says. I didn't write it. My name's Rod. His name's God. That's where the resemblance ends, I always say. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hallelujah. Mike, don't fall asleep. You can sleep later. Just, she'll give you some more food. It's all right. I'm the one that didn't get any sleep last night. But, she looked, anyhow, <laughs> but God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. For if many died 
through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, much more profusely, profuse, did God's grace, much more profusely. See, the grace of God overwhelms the power of sin. The grace of God that's upon each and every one of us that we're to be found standing firmly in is bigger than anything that can come against us. But you need to believe it, trust it, rely on it. Say, I'm in the grace of God. I'm surrounded by his favor. The free favors of God profusely abound round about my life. But much more profusely did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. Nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. I mean, it's incredible. People, like again, they, they'll preach for weeks and weeks and weeks on the power of the fall and what happened with the fall. And again, it's not wrong to describe it, to share it. But as long as you have this in the thing, the free gift of God cannot be compared to the effect of the fall. But a lot of people, that's all they want to talk about is the effect of the fall. And they live from that platform. And they're miserable people. They are. They're miserable people. They're just living misery because they're always bound down to whatever thought Satan gives them. I mean, Satan just says, you know, you're, just look what you did. And that's where it starts. And if you take that thought, you know, you're in a trap. You're in a thought immediately. And that's why it sounds... It sounds uh, it sounds impossible. Again, this, the goodness of God is so huge to say, I'm the righteousness of God when you sinned two minutes earlier. You know what I mean? When you did something you know you shouldn't have done, said something you know you shouldn't have said. But you just snap back and you say, I'm a holy man. I'm a holy woman. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That's not who I am. That was the devil. That was not me. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that and every part of it. You know what I mean? You just take, you take authority over it. Nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. For the sentence following the trespass of one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings justification, an act of righteousness. For because of one man's trespass, lapse, and offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive it, will you receive it? Much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness that puts them in right standing with themselves reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That's just so powerful to me. I can see you're so excited and thrilled this morning. I'm sorry. I mean... uh, I like even James 4, 6 says God gives grace to meet evil tendencies. God gives grace to meet an evil tendency. In other words, when something keeps coming and you tend to lean towards that, it's a revelation of grace that will stop it. That's what it says. I mean, how important is this? Even Paul, like I said, had a difficulty expressing the depth of it. This is Ephesians 3, 8. Listen to this. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, God's consecrated people, this grace, this favor, this privilege was granted and graciously entrusted to proclaim to the Gentiles, listen to this list, to proclaim to the Gentiles the unending, boundless, 
fathomless, incalculable, and exhaustless riches of Christ, wealth which no human being could have searched out. These guys experienced something that's, you know, just beyond imagination. And they're trying to share it with us that we might somehow just click into it and say, oh my God, I'm loved by God. I am actually loved by the Creator. I'm accepted. I'm grafted into Israel. I'm now a member of his household. I'm now a son and daughter. I'm a son. Are you a son or daughter? You are, right? If you're in Christ, you are. If he doesn't, let, let me tell you, God takes care of those in his household. There's no lack there. He'll take care of you. But again, like Paul, I was just thinking, you know, here he's trying to express the depth of this, and it's tough. All I know is this. I was taught a long time ago, preach the cure, don't preach the disease. You know what I mean? Preach the cure, not the disease. God's grace, everything man needs is tied up in God's grace to us through Jesus Christ, and that's Colossians 2.10, about in him we are complete. Remember, I'm giving you the word study that the word complete is plerio. It means to cram. And it's like I said, we're filled with the good, with the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, I still can't figure that one out. I mean, that we're crammed. <laughs> you know, get in there. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is crammed into David Powell's life. It's like it's on a, his hands are on his head and it's just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. That's what this speaks to. That's the picture it's trying to show. And like I always say, if we can't succeed being filled with the Holy Ghost, the Father, and the Son, then what else? What else can he give us? Oh, hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 6 1 says that merciful the grace receive not the grace of God in vain, that merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence on souls and turns them to Christ. Is that up there? No, I'm just curious. Let me just read it again. Receive not the grace of God in vain. That means people can receive the grace of God in vain, where it's just empty to them, it means nothing. But listen to what it says it is, that merciful kindness by which, by which God exerts his holy influence on souls and turns them to Christ. That's heavy. Hallelujah. The word frustrate is at the tail. It means to set aside by implication to disesteem, to neutralize or violate, to cast off, despise, annul, bring to naught. So we must rightly divide the word of God. Hallelujah. When we know like in Hebrews, you get there and like when we teach on covenant, remember the major difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Actually, I'm going to just turn there. Well, it's worth reading. I'm almost done. Everybody say praise God. I know you're, you can't wait, but it's okay. Like I said, I, I really do. I can, you know, when you've been preaching a long time and teaching, you can tell when people are receiving or when they're not. And you can tell when you're doing a good job when you're not. And I know I'm not really doing a really powerful job this morning. But uh, hallelujah, it is what it is. But I am going to put you, stir up your pure mind. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just saying. I'm just saying I can tell when words are going in. It's all right. We've all been there. I remember... The guy saying once, he said, he said, as a preacher, he was teaching a leadership thing to the pastor. He said, have you ever gotten the pulpit 
and he knew that you were there, but God was somewhere in the Bahamas. <laughs> you know, and everybody has crashed, crashed and burned. If you haven't crashed and burned yet, if, if in, and you're behind the pulpit sometimes, you will, trust me. I don't have to prophesy it, I just will. Sometimes it just come in there, and I mean, you're just nothing. There's nothing. All of a sudden, oh, 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 oh. I remember the very first time I was ever asked to speak in Teen Challenge, I told you this before, but we used to every Thursday night have what was called a praise in, and people would come from the Riverside area of California, and we had like this big, uh, I don't know what you call it, like an outside area, and they'd put up chairs, and they would sing and what have you, and then come up, and I was supposed to, uh, my very, very first time, you know, the assistant director asked me if I'd speak, if I'd teach something. I mean, brother, I... I got scriptures. I mean, I don't even remember what it was, but I mean, I searched it out. I mean, I searched it out. I mean, I had like four, literally four pages. I had four full pages of typewritten notes, four full pages. I got up there and I went, hi, and I started reading. I read all four pages. This is not exaggeration in five minutes. I was done. I just sat there and went, oh, Finally, this guy, the director, Greg Strange, he just came up and put his arm around me and said, oh, thank you, Rod, that was real fine. Thank you, go have a seat. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's true. Sometimes you just bomb. It's just the way it is. It's like God keeps you humble. He really does. I mean, some of the best. I remember like Paul, you know, Paul Kane, how powerful he was. Rick Joyner always tells a story about how uh, Paul would something, you know, his incredible prophecies, incredible power these things that would come to pass from Paul. And um, I met Paul several times because the church, you know, we go to in Camarillo, and you know, we were going to all those times. You know, Steve used to have Paul all the time. The pastor used to have Paul all the time, so I got to know him, spend some time with him. But um, Rick, would he'd make us all laugh. He said sometimes, he said what Paul, he said sometimes was on, but he said when he got messed up, it's because he was trying to read his notes. And he said it was so funny. So one day he said he, and I forget who else was with him, he said, they were in, they went up to the hotel, let's go up to the hotel room, let's get into his room and steal his notes. Because if we steal his notes, he won't mess up, he'll be able to flow in the spirit. And they did this key thing, and they got a key, and they opened the door, and they opened the door, and Paul, and Paul was standing right in front of him and says, you can't have my notes. <laughs> he knew, he knew. But sometimes, I mean, Paul was incredible. Sometimes he'd get up and you go, what in God's name is this guy talking about? And it was just nothing, <laughs> pure nothing. And that happens to a lot of people. Graham Cook, who's a friend of ours, you know, who we had many times and we had it chosen and everything like that. Graham, he'd tell me stories the same thing. You know, everybody patting me on the back for being prophetic and being this, that, and the other. And he said, I'd get up sometime. And he said, I didn't even know if I had underwear on. <laughs> I mean, he was just, I'm serious. He just sometimes... And they all say the same thing. It says it's like it's like, you know, you have to be reminded. My dependency is on God. My dependency is on God. The Bible says, "Be very, very careful if you begin to think too highly of yourself." Your flesh loves to be fed, man. Flesh loves to be fed. In Hebrews eight, so I can hurry up and get you mad, and Tommy can take me home so I can kiss my wife. It says talks about the difference between the old and the new. And again, this is a powerful thing that needs to be taught in, in detail, but let me just give you the heart of it here because of this topic of grace. 
I'll start at verse 6, Hebrews 8, verse 6. But as it now is, he, Christ, has acquired a priestly ministry which is as much superior and excellent than the old as the covenant, the agreement of which he is the mediator, the arbiter, the agent is superior and more excellent because it is enacted and rests upon more important, excuse me, sublimer, higher, nobler promises. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been without defect, there would have been no room for another one or an attempt to institute another one. However, he finds fault with them, showing its inadequacy when he says, Behold, the days will come, says the Lord, when I will make and ratify a new covenant or agreement with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9, the first sentence is so powerful. He says, It will not be. The new covenant will not be. Somebody say, will not be. The new covenant will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers on the day when I grasped them by the hand to help and relieve them, to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Now, of all the differences between the old and the new covenant, the Spirit of God writes to the writer of Hebrews and says this one. I mean, just really, you have to see how profound this is. He said, for they did not abide in my agreement, and this is what I did. They did not abide in my agreement. You know what I did? So I withdrew my favor, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? He said, the first one, when they stepped out of my will, I removed my favor. But this new covenant, not going to be like that. Hallelujah. See, Rod takes great solace in knowing that when I mess up, I'm not done. Because the new covenant is so different. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will imprint my laws upon their minds, even upon their innermost thoughts and understanding. I will engrave them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Hallelujah. Okay, and we all know in Hebrews 9.28 says when Jesus comes the next time it will not be to deal with sin because he's already done that in his first coming. Again, you need to remind yourself of that over and over again. He will not ever deal with sin again. Think about that. Which side of Christianity must we function in to be Christ-like? The new covenant. foundation of grace. I wrote this down. Some of us just don't have time for all the death because there's just so much more life going around. Other scriptures, 2 Corinthians 1, 12 to 20, grace is what turns people to Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 8 through 12, this is the ministry of the Spirit which makes righteous, verse 12, because we speak very freely, openly, and fearlessly. Hallelujah. In Acts 20, 32, he said, Paul said to them, I commit you to the grace of God, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance. I commit you to the grace of God. Is how he ended it. I'm done. Everybody say praise God. Father, I don't know how to say it anymore. I just know this, Father, that the revelation of your love for us is, is paramount. I mean, to actually 
be able to proclaim and declare. I, I, nothing, whatever, you know, it's like that verse in Romans again, for, you know, what, all things will work together for good. I may not know why right now, even with Julie, I don't know why. But all things will work together for good to those who are loved by God and called according to his purpose. All things. And all includes what my wife's going through, what I hate to see. But all things work together for good. All things work together for good. So somehow, somewhere in the middle of this, there's triumph. There's victory and there's even glory. And I continue to thank you, Father, that your name will be so glorified by thousands of people who love my wife. When she gets up and just walks and goes, wow, what a bad dream I had. I thank you, Father, that every single one of us have truly a destiny. But again, the word destiny leads to destination, that we have a destination. We have an assignment. Every one of us has an assignment. Every one of us has been equipped. We've all received, it says, of the fullness of Christ. Favor upon favor, gift upon gift, heaped upon gift. Oh, you know, we're crammed with the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You love us. Sometimes I say, honestly, I don't know why, but you do. You love us. You know every silly, goofy, wrong thing about me, and you adore me. I am adored by God. I am the pupil of his eye. I'm the center of his heartbeat. And so is everyone in this room, literally chosen ones of God, chosen of God to tell others about this goodness that draws people to change. Chosen by God Almighty, we are chosen. We've been chosen. What a privilege. We have been chosen. We're called Christians, little Christ, little anointed ones. So, Father, all I know is to continue to say yes to you. I thank you that every one of us just know this much. We will reverence the right and we will reject the wrong. In Jesus' name, and we will preach the cure, not the disease. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. So be it. Amen. And you can wake up now. Anybody got anything they want to say? May as well play like it was when I was in school. Somebody tell me something they heard. I'm going to put pressure on you because, like I said, I know it wasn't all super gluey this morning. Tell me something that you heard in your own words about that you heard this morning. Something that you'll go away with. Grace trains us. Hmm? Grace trains us. The grace of God that it trains us. Oh, the grace of God trains us. Amen. But Amen. it's not a like it's not a one time thing. It's a continuous. Yeah, yeah it is a continuous. But every day we receive the grace of God is another day that we're trained. That's right. To flee from mm-hmm. It's very powerful. Very true. Anyone else? I think the analogy of the anthem at banquet sometimes. Yeah, I love that analogy. Yeah, why do we do that? I mean, it's, why, what is it about us? It's because we're sin conscious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we just haven't crossed over to stop thinking about that and accept this is the 
Jesus. That's why I say sometimes I look in the mirror because I was instructed to all those years ago and I said, you're a holy man. I talk to myself and say, you're a holy man. You're blessed of God. You're blessed coming in. You're blessed going out. You're a holy man. You only think good thoughts. You cast down any renegade thought immediately. I mean, you know, just look in the mirror and talk about the goodness. Anyone else? Yes, Jason? Yeah, amen, amen. Yes, Abby? Um, it just struck me when you said, I think it was Second Corinthians 6, 1, about his holy influence. How he, he uses grace to exert his holy influence on people and turn them to Christ. It's like, you know, yeah. the, you know, the list of people we've been praying for. It's the good news that yeah. changes people. Yeah. It's the good news. Never seen it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Anyone else? Just the goodness of God. Yeah. What? The goodness of God actually calling people to repentance. Like we yeah. can be praying for someone and almost want to focus on the, their sin, but actually you shouldn't be doing that. You should actually just be yeah. focusing on the goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why, honestly, when I pray for people to be saved, I don't, you know, so many people say, confess that you're a sinner. I don't do that. I don't want people. I don't want to, you know, don't say, I'm a sinner. I know I'm dead. No, 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 just receive Jesus. Amen. Yeah, but whatever. Anyone else? Yes, Margaret. God loves us. What? God loves God us. Loves God loves us. He does. Knows every wrinkle, every spot on Des's life. <laughs> loves him. Adores him. He's his favorite. God loves Des, man. He adores it. He loves Femi. He loves Femi, I'm telling you. Not just because he married Ruth. He just loves Femi. Hallelujah. He actually loves Deborah. He's praying about Mike. <laughs> Any, sorry, I don't know. i got to do it. I've just been known Mike for so long I can pick on him. Anyone else? One other, yeah, Des. I'm making notes. I don't like that verse. I think it's I think it's three times, might be four times in Psalms where it says that. But I just love that. I mean, I it just becomes like a mantra. I mean, I thank you. I trust. All I know is I trust you, and I keep reminding God that I'm not perfect. But then He told me He says, "You don't have to remind me of that. I kind of know that. <laughs> but if you just trust me, you won't be put to shame. You'll never be disappointed. Now, if that's in the book, is it real or not? I mean, you know, you have to come down to that point sometimes if it's in the book it's it's in the book so that's my faith that's the word uh i had the tv on this morning for a minute watch robert um morris for a minute and he was talking about how in uh one of the psalms i forget which song i know psalm 105 it talks about where david speaks of joseph 
and how Joseph was led into fetters and chains. And, but it says he was tested. Then it says he was tested by the word of God. And he said, the thing is, the difference is, he said, when you get a word from God, like a rhema or something, you get a word from God, he said, hold fast to it. But he said, the thing is, that won't keep you necessarily if you don't go to the literal word of God, which is the book. In other words, because the book is what keeps you. Like right now, as I wait for the manifestation of my wife, he tests me by the word. Do I know what the word says? Regardless of what's here, I have a word from God healed by the stripes of Jesus. She is. You know, it's not a hope so thing. The book says Jesus took this infirmity and bore her illness. This illness, this thing they call vascular Parkinson, whatever. I don't care what it is. The name of Jesus is higher. But the book says it. And it says he can't lie. So I'm not going anywhere else. I'm just not. Hallelujah. I'm not going anywhere else. But I trust him. That's what it is. We hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering for the faithfulness of the promise. But that statement of Morris's this morning really struck me. I'd never seen that before. He was tested, but he was tested by the word of God. And about the difference between having a word about a situation, but understanding before, while you're waiting for the manifestation, he tests you. In other words, will you keep in this? Will you keep looking to this as the solution? You know what I mean? The test is the literal word of God. This is the literal word of God. So the test is stay here. If you don't stay here, you're going to lose, basically. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 